0: It's the next level. movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers Your discretion is advised
1: all right look I get it I talk a lot of shit about you know bad movies stuff that isn't even like the slightest bit important so all right I get it I'm probably not in any position to throw stones but I gotta you know I have a beef with social media. I always have. Probably always will. But man, people are fucking killing me right now. Spider-Man. Okay, the whole Spider-Man debacle is just... It's beyond me. I I don't understand. Like, People are so upset about this quote-unquote divorce between Sony and Disney. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think most of these people wouldn't even complain this much if their spouses left them. Like, I don't know funny thing like okay th- and this is when I found out the news that apparently Sony and Disney talks have broken down and spider-man is now completely Sony and will not be in the MCU anymore okay 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 I get it I get it you know people's hearts are broken and whatnot but do you remember back during San Diego comic-con when they announced what phase four was there was no there was no spider-man movie listed at all so what why is this a shock to everyone is my question. Like, what what did we expect from the character of Spider-Man in the next, you know, four to five years or whatever, however long Phase 4 takes? Like, what, was he going to be everyone's favorite cameo? Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood cameo. Like, what the f- I don't know. I thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, okay, so you're taking Spider-Man away. Well, you didn't have any plans for the character anyway, you know? I don't know, and not to mention, like, way back when, you know, Disney bought 20th Century Fox. You know, everybody started going off about how it was like a monopoly, and Disney owns everything, and this and that. So, Sony comes along and says, Spider-Man's still ours, bitch. Fuck you. And the internet blows a gasket. It's like, oh my god, this is so horrible. Give us back our Spider-Man. But, why? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, Tom Holland's been great as Spider-Man and everything, but I might be in the minority that's sitting here, you know, thinking that, like, Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man, you know, Far From Home weren't, I mean, they, well, I haven't seen Far From Home, but I'm not in any desire to is my thing, like, and Homecoming was okay, he's really good, but I don't like the rest of the characters, I like him. As Spider-Man. But I, I don't care about his best friend. I don't care about their version of MJ. Uh, Aunt May. Okay, yeah, she's nice and hot. But she's not Aunt May. Like, I don't know. It, so what? So Disney it doesn't have Spider-Man anymore. Okay. Did you know the Amazon forests right now are burning down? And you don't see anything about that. Like, you see a bit on social media about that. There are some people that are pretty, you know, genuinely upset about this. God damn it, Spider Man. Like, you can't leave the MCU. What will I do? My life will, it just won't be the same. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, they can never take my 60s Spider Man cartoons away from me. You know what I mean? I got that shit on DVD and you will never take it from me. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. <laughs> it was kind of funny, though. The other day I was, um, I was thrift shopping, and I came across the first three Harry Potter movies on VHS. So I was like, "No, I'll snag. I mean, I never actually owned them on VHS. When the Harry Potter movies came out, I bought them on DVD and Blu-ray. So, I mean, well, the Blu-ray I got as a gift. It was the full box set. I got them all, but whatever. I like Harry Potter. Fuck you. If you don't, I don't care. But anyways, something occurred to me Like when I was like buying the VHS tapes the other day. I was like, you know, there's all this outrage about Spider-Man right now. Can you imagine the outrage if Warner Brothers came out and said, oh, hey, by the way, we're rebooting Harry Potter. Holy fuck, the goddamn internet would explode, wouldn't they? I mean, because seriously, everybody loves their Harry Potter. And I'm not going to lie, yes, the movies were perfectly cast. Everybody that played their role played it perfectly There is really no need to reboot this series, like, ever. But (laughs) you know it's going to happen one day. You know Warner Brothers is going to say, you know, we could cash in on this. And I mean, yeah, they'll say, you know, J.K. Rowling will be against it and, you know, we'll fight for it and all of a sudden, whatever. It doesn't matter. Money talks, bullshit walks, and one day, Harry Potter will be rebooted. Just let that sit with you for a while. Anyways, on with the show. Coming to you from beyond the grave, and from Studio Zero at the Next Level Network of Podcasts, the inhumane society of bad movie reviews and burial rituals. It's time to ask the question, why would you give a cat steak instead of tuna or something it might fucking like? Grab your shovels, kids, because it's time to go grave digging on this week's episode of What What Lurks Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And this is the 53rd episode. This week... Ah, fuck it. This episode is one of those benchmarks. It's it's an episode I've been... I say waiting. I mean, I could have done it any time. But I've been waiting for that moment. That moment when I would finally review this movie. It would feel like it was time. Like... Because I'm starting to feel with the podcast that I'm, I, I'm getting into character now. I'm starting to feel like this is like what the show is going to start being, very much like on a regular basis and whatnot. This is what I kind of want the show to be like, and I feel like I'm at that moment. I probably should have held Return of the Living Dead till a little bit later, but I did it when I did it and whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, today is the day. Today is the day I, I'm going to hit a movie that. Um oh fuck this movie uh, it, it's you know it, episode 53's review of the week is is one of death it's one of grief um chilly shallying um okay it's got that it's yeah, um, but this is like Stephen King's story this is the one that apparently when he wrote it way back in the day back in the, you know late or late well i think I want to say he started writing it in the late '70s, but I think it was actually early '80s. The book was released in '83, so whatever. Um, but yeah, this was the story that disturbed even him like so much. He almost never had it published. Like that's fucked up. Um, you know, because <laughs> this is aside from being a movie that I've been just waiting to review and and whatnot, and I just I have a lot of passion for this movie. Like I love the book too. So it's like. Man, if he had never released this book, this never happens. And I'm not talking about this movie. And like, it just chain reaction going through our, fu- my, you know, our fucking heads. My fucking head. And, you know, this is a shared experience. You're listening to me, so we're sharing this experience. Um, ah, fuck it. I, I, just, I really need to start burying my leads a little bit better. Pet cemetery, guys. Yes, we're doing it. Um, I, I'm excited about this, and I have a lot to talk about. Uh, it, oh it's so awesome but but, but 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 first first I gotta do something I have to do this uh this is it, it's from the bottom of my heart because like no seriously like I know I I, I always joke about like my black heart and my dead heart and stuff like that but honestly something happened just recently that like meant a lot to me and I have to say it on here and it, it's it's a shout-out to my sister, of all people. My sister Lisa, former uh, guest on the host. or guest on, the, Former guest on the host. What the fuck? No, that, and that sounds really wrong, so don't go there. But former guest on the show. There we go. Um, yeah, she was, you know, you guys remember, episode one, Gremlins. My sister was on here. Anyways, let's get to the point of this. Uh, so this past weekend, Fan Expo was in Toronto was uh their 25th anniversary as well 20 25 years of fan expo it's pretty cool anyways my sister went i didn't this year uh this was not my year to go um i am really considering next year but there's there's many conventions within this area like um and horror ones too like we have horror ramas coming up uh november 30th and december 1st in the toronto area Frightmare in the falls Um, London Comic-Con, part of that is being taken over by Shockstock, which also Shockstock did announce that I believe it's May 1st May 3rd is, uh, their event for 2020. So that's awesome. Anyways, I didn't go to Fan Expo this year. My sister did. And well, when she came home, she had seven beautiful little gifts for me. Yes. Um, you guys know I've been working on rebuilding the VHS collection I once had And anyways, my sister brought home with her seven VHS tapes to add to my collection. And, like, they're awesome ones, too. Um, Movies like The Fly, Cujo, People Under the Stairs, Ginger Snaps 2, Bride of Chucky, Christine, and Shocker. And it's awesome. She had uh, sent, like, she sent, like, pictures showing me um, a vendor. I'm assuming, uh, I believe it was Suspect Video. Was where she got the tapes from. Anyways, um, she sent pictures and like I could see all the VHS tapes that they were offering, and I, I sent her a list. I think there was like nine of them, and I said, if you can get these, great. You know what? Don't worry about it though. If you can't, like if they sell or whatever, you know, it, it's nice that you're doing this for me. And you know, and, and I mean, primarily I wanted The Fly and Cujo. Anything else after that was just like mere bonus. But those were the two I was kind of aiming for. And she got those plus five others. And then she, you know, she walks in the door and she goes, by the way, you don't owe me. They're, they're for me. And I was like, that fucking meant a lot. That was awesome. And all the tapes are in great condition. So, yes, uh, needless to say, I was I was very, very happy last night when, when my sister got home. And kind of on a VHS note, but kind of different. Uh, Lurker's recommendation of the week so you guys know I love shutter uh shutter is the shutter is my Netflix I know a lot of people out there are like all about their Netflix and whatnot and oh you know Disney plus is coming out and also announced um, just recently I guess roomorg and M- MVD video are releasing their own horror streaming service now which like their selling point is we're gonna have a Serbian film on there great I'm jumping all over that but anyways I love Shutter, and I love what Shutter offers. I'm happy with Shutter. Anyways, they recently put a um, a 2014 Canadian documentary on there called "Why Horror," and honestly, I love this documentary. It w- I was impressed. I had no clue this documentary even existed, um, which is probably sad on my part. But I didn't know it existed. But like many of you, I love a good do- I-, I love a good documentary. Well, this one, um, <laughs> I wrote, this one is really effing good, because um, why I would censor myself on this show, I don't know. But anyways, the whole idea of the, of the, the documentary is it follows uh, Tal Zimmerman, who's a horror journalist uh, in Canada, and he's a diehard fan of the genre, obviously, and he's basically in the documentary, he's asking the question so many of us fans, you know, have heard throughout our lives, why horror? Why do you like horror? What is it about horror? Don't you realize it's violent, it's gory, it's scary? Yeah, we're aware of all of it. We love it. Um, I love that this documentary—he hits basically from every angle, every topic that's needed to be talked about. He approaches it. The the it, it's so well done. I mean, it focuses on everything from like the rise of the horror genre in literature, leading into film and the science of how the body reacts to horror, like, you know, they go into, like, he does, like, MRI studies and stuff like that to see how the brain reacts, and it's really fucking cool, um, you know, it talks about, like, rituals, traditions, legacies from around the world, um, how different cultures view the horror of death, how some cultures don't see death as a bad thing, but as, as a good thing, as a, as a moving on to the next plane and stuff like that, um, Great interviews with, like, awesome people that are, like, in the biz. Uh, John Carpenter, the Soska sisters, Don Cossarelli, and George A. Romero. I I didn't realize this was 2014. It was a 2014 documentary when I was watching it. And all of a sudden, you know, there's an interview with George Romero. And, like, a bit of my heart kind of, like, you know, sunk. I was like, oh, that's awesome. But, like, you know, it was like, oh, shit. I didn't realize, like, he was in here. Um, such a great documentary, 82 minutes long. It's not super long, very well paced, uh, hits everything from Italian, British, Canadian, Japanese, American, all, all aspects of horror. Um, but I love the fact that it, 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 The documentary really tries to justify that, you know what, people that like horror movies, we're not psychotic, and we have a passion, and that passion usually leads to a lot of creative things, um, whether it be podcasting, whether it be artwork, whether it be filmmaking, or storytelling, or whatever. Horror does a lot of that, it really... It inspires and it also taps into fears and allows us to face certain fears and whatnot. So it's a great documentary. I highly recommend it. And that's basically the Lurker's recommendation of the week. Because I'll be honest with you. I have so much to talk about Pet Cemetery this week that I, I, I can't talk very long. I, I We really just need to bury this and move on to the movie review. It's going to be so fucking awesome to talk about this movie. So as per usual... Trailer drop, and then when we all return, because this is a shared experience, a shared podcast experience between me and all of you. Um, when we return... See, notice, I, I put aside the, the the voices in my head. Like, I kind of told them to fuck off. Like, just let me do what I do, you know? Give me, give me a moment's peace, all right? Like, fuck. But anyways, when we come back from the trailer drop, we're going to go... Digging some graves And we're going to cat some steak I don't I'll get to that later Back in a moment
0: At the edge of the woods Behind the creed's new house Is the old animal graveyard The place Where devoted pets Are laid to rest Daddy, is church alright? What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him. Why, Judd? I have my reasons. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was, was a... secret. But some don't stay. May the Lord bless you and keep you. No! May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts. That's not thought of, Lois. Daddy's gonna do something really bad! That's why no one ever buried a human being out there. You're thinking of putting him up there? Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. And why nothing ever rests in peace. If it doesn't work, I'll just put him back to sleep. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Paramount Pictures presents Ah. Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Gage? First I play with Doug. Ah. Mommy, came and I play with Mommy. Ah. We had an awful good time. What did you do? What did you do? Pet Cemetery.
1: Play with you. <laughs> person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. May it look like that person, but it ain't that person. Cause whatever lives in the ground beyond the pet cemetery ain't human at all. Kinda like the host of this podcast. Wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, says, Fuck, you ain't human at all. Alright, I know that was lame, whatever. But, hey, I'm excited, man. Like, seriously, this, I sound like a valley girl. Like, seriously, like, oh, my God. Um, Anyways, no. I'm happy about this one, though. Like, seriously. See? Like, I did again. Like, seriously. Um, Pet Cemetery. Yes. This is, I read this book, and it's been a while since I actually read it, but I do remember reading it in high school. I think it was in grade nine, was the first time I ever read the book. And was like, whoa, damn, that's fucking awesome. It, it The book freaked me out. I'm not going to lie. I do have the book. I haven't read it in years. As a matter of fact, with all my time off lately, I'm probably going to try and tackle some books that I've been meaning to read. And this was actually one of them, just because I, I don't remember all of it. But I know that, like, you know... Uh, it chapter two is coming out very soon. So, do I really want to tackle it though? Like, seriously? <laughs> don't get me wrong. Great, great book, great movie, great everything with it. But that book is fucking long. And I, my older, my older age, my my more primed out age, whatever. Yeah, shut up, Paul. No, don't shut up. It's a podcast. But anyways. I might read it. That's all I'm going to say. Anyways, time to move on to this because I've already wasted like, what, two, three minutes since coming back from the trailer and I haven't talked a goddamn thing about this fucking movie yet. So, Pet, Pet Cemetery released, North American wide release, April 21st, 1989. 1989 was a good year. But anyways, the movie movie is directed by mary lambert mary lambert now when doing my research on mary lambert i did come to realize she did a lot of music videos the thing is is that i don't you know how some directors like you can tell they have like sort of like a um, a way of directing and you can always tell you'll be like oh yeah that's a cronenberg film or or, well cronenberg's kind of he's all out there but whatever um that's a del toro film del toro films you can usually tell right away right like you know you can tell certain directors michael bay obviously <laughs> we all know what he's well, he's more producer but when he's directed yeah you can tell um the thing is is that with mary lambert her music videos don't didn't really project into this this had its own look it, it was something that showed that she had range and she had character and i'm not saying range and like that you know how sometimes i'll be like they have range and i'm like being sarcastic i'm not this time like she she's got some talent and i liked what i saw in this i mean on on top of doing pet cemetery she like i said she did a lot of music videos she her first uh feature film though was a film called siesta in 1987 which i've never seen so i, I can't even comment on it um however she did do the follow-up to pet cemetery the uh the sequel pet cemetery 2 with edward furlong um I'm going to refrain from commenting on that, because when I saw it years ago, I didn't like it. I have been told that that I should give it a second chance, and I might appreciate it a little bit more now. So, it's on the bucket list to attempt again. I honestly don't see myself liking it, but you know what? Maybe I will. I'm I'm more open to films these days, so who knows? But back to Mary Lambert. She also uh, directed the movie Halloween Town Two. Uh, she did the movie The Attic in two thousand seven. She did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, and uh, this was this was something that stood out, and I remember talking about this too. Like not on not on here. I talked about it on my old podcast, the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast. But in two thousand seventeen, uh, Mary Lambert directed an episode from the CW series Arrow. She directed the episode "The Sin Eater." The, the the sin eater. Sometimes I talk too fast, and I know you guys have all been really awesome. Nobody has ever really, you know, you know, said anything about this. But I know myself. Sometimes I talk too fast, or I I mumble. Um, so I'm. This is something that going forward, I am going to try to enunciate my words a bit better um because even i notice it like every now and then when i'm doing editing i'll go back and i'll be like wow i can't even tell what i just said there so, <laughs> so she did an episode called the sin eater <laughs> um now you you know what i mean but um moving on because i just i'm babbling a lot this episode so Written by the master of macabre himself, Stephen King. He uh, wrote both the novel and the screenplay for this movie. And... So, you know how, like, I've been doing this a lot lately when I announce, like, you know, a director, a producer, a cast member. I'll tell you, like, you know, where you know them from. Um, who the fuck is Stephen King? That's what I wrote. I, I... No, I'm not going through this. You guys fucking know who Stephen King is. I we're gonna move on to the producer the producer of this movie was Richard P. Rubenstein and you might be familiar with that name because he's produced a lot of Stephen King shit uh, he also produced The Stand uh, Creepshow uh, The Golden Years Langoliers Thinner The Night Flyer and then he also he he produced both Dawn of the Dead films he did both the original and The the Romero Romero original, and he did the Snyder remake. He produced that too. Um, Also, I'm going to comment, he worked with Romero a lot, George A. Romero. He worked with him a lot. um, Also, on films like Martin, um, Creepshow, I think I already mentioned that, Day of the Dead. Um, He also uh, produced TV series Monsters. You guys remember that one? Uh, He produced that, and he actually also did some acting. Uh, very small roles they were like minor cameos but he uh he had small roles in the movies martin and creep show so richard p Rubenstein is a name that you might not realize you've seen it that much but it's uh, he he's done a lot in the horror genre cinematography by peter stein peter stein also worked on friday the 13th part two <laughs> chud i i love it i love saying that chud it just sounds so funny uh, what else did he work on? Ernest saves Christmas. He also himself did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. He worked on Graveyard Shift with Stephen King. Stephen King, Graveyard Shift. Uh, Wes Craven's TV movie Night Visions. Fuck, for the life of me, I can't remember that one. And like the title sounded familiar, but I'm like, I do not remember this movie at all. And I'm pretty sure I did see it. Um, Peter Stein also worked on Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan. Sorry, man, but I see Hulk Hogan's name and I'm writing that shit down. The music, the music to this lovely film. It's done by Elliot Goldenthal. And I don't know why, but for some reason, for the longest time when I was younger, not so much now, but when I was younger, I always used to think the music for Pet Cemetery was done by Jerry Goldsmith. I don't know why I always thought that. It's Elliot Goldenthal and I know this. I know I mean in my older days, obviously I know this. I have the soundtrack. So on C D. Have it on compact disc, yes. But anyways, um <laughs> I don't know why I always thought it was Jerry Goldsmith, but It isn't. It's Elliot Goldenthal. Um, Like I said, he did the music for this, Pet Cemetery. He also composed music for Alien 3, which I just bought that on VHS last week, so I had to write that one down. Demolition Man, that's a great fucking movie. Uh, Interview with the Vampire, Batman Forever, which probably the music is probably the best part of that movie. Don't get me wrong. I like Batman Forever, but there's a lot of hammy acting in that one and just way too much color. But... (laughs) Too much color for a Batman movie, but um, no, Elliot Golden Elliot Goldenthal did the soundtrack for that, which I have that soundtrack. Listen to this, I have it on cassette. I'm not lying. Yes, I still have cassettes. Uh, he did uh, the music for the movie uh, Heat with Al Pacino, Val Kilmer. Hey, Val Kilmer, yeah, seeing a the theme. Um, he worked on the movie A Time to Kill. That's a great one. Uh, Batman and Robin, really, um. <laughs> oh that fucking movie he worked on sphere uh final fantasy the spirits within and public enemies and that's just naming a few he had like a lot of music credits the visual and special effects for this film were done by the fantasy 2 film effects company and i wrote just a handful of credits down but fuck they have done a lot of movies But they did movies like Stephen King's It, the miniseries from TV, Um, Terminator, Terminator 2, T2, Aliens, Aliens, fucking great movie, Hellboy, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Gremlins, True Lies, The Abyss, The Return of the Living Dead, Critters, The Underworld movies, The Resident Evil movies, etc, etc, etc. You get the point. Fantasy 2 film effects is something you see credited a lot in a lot of different movies. Uh, so pet cemetery was released by paramount Studios not that we care but okay anyways on to our starring cast now here's where I'm going to get into sort of the meat of this 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 movie I reordered the cast because I kind of wanted to leave certain few for the end and you know it I, I Normally, when I do this, I just go based on the order that's on the internet, but I kind of change this one up, so just in case you're you're sitting there wondering, like, well, why didn't he mention this name yet? I have reasons. Um, okay, so <laughs> our starring male lead, um, I'll be honest with you, he might be the male lead, but in my opinion, Eddie, or Eddie Munster, Herman Munster, Eddie's not in this, um, <laughs> but for me, Herman Munster is, you know, he, he's the starring lead, but in a moment. Dale Midkiff as Lewis Creed. Uh, I will reserve my comments until later. Anyways, you may also know him from a movie called Nightmare Weekend, which has like a 3 out of 10 rating. Yeah, really good. Uh, He's done a lot of TV movies and TV series work, uh, including a TV series known as Time Tracks which was apparently on TV from 93 to 94. I don't remember this series, but he was like the main lead in that. He was also in an episode of Dexter, and he was in a movie called Flight of the Living Dead. (laughs) Never seen it. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen it. But kind of like when I mentioned about Attack of the Killer Donuts way back on Midnight Movie episode. I might want to see this movie. I don't know. Um, But moving on. To Denise Crosby, Denise Crosby who was actually at Windsor Comic-Con 2 years ago. Could have met her, but every time I went by her table she wasn't there. Um, so I didn't meet her. But anyways, Denise Crosby is Rachel Creed. She also was on an episode of Dexter. I might mention that, but she was also in 48 Hours. She was in the movie Deep Impact. Uh-huh. The doll horror film Dolly dearest. She was Rebecca Frost in one episode of the 1990 Flash series. I didn't remember that. And I have that series, so I might have to go back and look it up. But, yeah, apparently she was in one episode of that. Uh, A lot of people would probably know her from... Star Trek, The Next Generation. Yes, apparently that... I'm not going to lie. I I know Star Trek. I don't know it that well. I was a Star Wars kid growing up. Sorry. I know, sacrilege, because Star Wars is owned by Disney, and Disney sucks these days. No, I'm kidding. But anyways, yeah, she was uh, Lieutenant Tasha Yar or Sela on Star Trek The Next Generation, and if I pronounce those wrong, suck my dick. I don't care. (laughs) You guys know by now. I don't pronounce names well. She was also in three episodes of The Walking Dead. Let's move on to, in my opinion, the male lead of this film, Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn, you guys all know him as Herman Munster, but in this movie, he's Judd Crandall. He's excellent in this movie. I love this movie, and I know some of his acting is hammy, but fuck off, I don't care. I love him in this movie. Uh, He was also in the TV series Car 54, Where Are You? Uh, He was in the movie uh, Disorganized Crime. Disorganized Crime is a... It's a movie that doesn't get very. um, There's not a lot of recognition for this film, but I mean, it had Hoyt Axton in it from Gremlins, uh, Corbin Burnson, Ed O'Neill. Come on now, everyone's favorite Al fucking Bundy is in this goddamn movie. A Disorganized Crime. I saw it at the theaters like way back, and I was really surprised that it didn't have like such a huge following that I thought it would. I don't know. Then again, I I like spookies. That should say everything. But anyways, uh, Fred Gwynn was also the judge in the movie My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, I totally forgot that. And I've seen the movie, and I was like, holy fuck. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah. It was like one of those things where it just kind of popped back into my head. Anyways, Fred Gwynn passed away at the age of 66 in uh, 1993. It was July 2nd. And yeah... Our hearts will beat on for Fred Gwynn because he's an amazing actor with an amazing heart. And he, he's, he, he was a good dude. Moving on to now our Victor Pascal of the film, Brad Greenquist. And I didn't realize he was still acting. I didn't realize he's still done a lot of acting. I was like, oh, God damn. But he was in the movie Ali uh, with uh, Will Smith. Uh, He was also in The Loin. The the Loin. Yeah, it was The Loin Ranger uh, with Johnny Depp. Uh, No, The Lone Ranger, but more like The Loin Ranger. Uh, I didn't realize he was in that. I was like, fuck, goddamn. But um, Brad Greenquist did a lot of TV work. Again, um, TV films and series like uh, The Golden Years, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, Stargate. Uh, SG1, Stargate, Star, Stargate. Oh my God. Paul, slow the fuck down. You're talking like an idiot. Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, he was in Charmed, Nash Bridges, Walker, Texas Ranger, Alias, Grim. You get the point. He's done a lot of TV work. Uh, not so much films, but hey, he's awesome in this. Victor Pascal, yes. Pax Cow, Pax Cow. Where have I heard that name before? Um, all right, anyways, moving on to Michael Lombard as Irwin Goldman. Yes, he is Rachel's father who has, like, this serious hatred for Lewis Creed. Um, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But anyways, he was also in films like Prizzy's Honor, Crocodile Dundee, The Devil's Advocate, and The Thomas Crown Affair. Well, now move on to his wife. Yes, let's move on to his wife. Mary Louise Wilson, who apparently is still acting. I didn't even know this. Um, but she plays Dory Goldman. She's uh, Irwin's wife. She doesn't talk a lot in this movie. She's her, her, her scenes are very limited. But then again, do you really need Rachel's parents much for this movie? Not really. Um, anyway, she was in movies like Teachers with Nick Nolte. She was in The Money Pit with Tom Hanks. Uh, one episode of Tales from the Dark Side. Not Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, which was I thought that was awesome. I love that series. I have that on DVD, too. Um, she was in She-Devil with Roseanne. Yay! Not. Fuck off, Roseanne. I'm sorry. I'm going to say this now. I think Roseanne is one of the most overrated actresses in the world. That's my opinion, and it's not because of all her political views and whatnot. No, fuck that. When I, I, As a kid growing up, I watched Roseanne every week. For everyone else on the show but her. I couldn't stand her. But anyways. uh, Mary Louise Wilson did an episode of The Sopranos. She was in Oceans 8. And was in two episodes of Orange is the New Black. Like I said, still currently acting. So I was surprised. Uh, Susan Blumart. I think I'm saying that right. Blumart or Blumart. Um, Anyways, she's our Missy Dandridge. Pet Cemetery was only her third acting credit in her career of 68 acting credits to date. Um so this was only her third film. Um prior and uh, I I didn't write what she did prior to it, but after she did also an episode of Tales from the Crypt. She was in Edward Scissorhands, one episode of The X-Files. She was in the movie The Jerky Boys. You guys remember that fucking thing? <laughs> remember when The Jerky Boys was like really big, you know, with the little phone prank? You, you bought tapes that had these guys pranking people on the phone. Um, and it sold. I, I'm not going to lie. I had one of the tapes myself. She was also in the movie Mouse Hunt. She was in an episode of Angel, which I didn't remember that, but that's cool. She was in the movie United 93, and recently was in John Wick Chapter 3. She was the librarian. That's kind of cool. Stephen King. Yes, I, I had. I'm throwing this in there. Stephen King is in this movie as the minister. He's the minister giving the sermon for when Missy Dandridge has, you know, hung herself. I know, it's, i I'm so graceful when they talk about stuff like that, aren't I? Um, but anyways, Stephen King has had cameos or roles in films and TV series like Creepshow, Maximum Overdrive, Creepshow 2, Sleepwalkers, The Golden Years, The Stand, Langoliers, Thinner, Rose Red, Kingdom Hospital, it was on Fraser. Do you know what? I never watched Fraser, so I never knew this. And now I just want to go and find those episodes just so I can watch Stephen King on Fraser. He was on Sons of Anarchy, which I remembered that. Uh, it was in Diary of the Dead, Under the Dome, and Mister Mercedes. On top of other shit, I I I kind of like I like to write like key points, and then I just keep going with some people. Um, now next up. Timmy Baderman. Timmer, Timmy Baderman. Um, the character was played by Peter Stater. mostly a stunt actor. He would, he did not do a lot of um, like actual acting. Like he was he was a stunt guy. Uh, he did stunts in films like Alligator, Scarface, Firestarter, Daryl, Raw Deal. Which okay, I have to go back to the last episode. I said that Arnold Schwar- Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why can't I say Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the movie Red Dawn. Oops, sorry, Raw Deal. I had the wrong fucking movie that I was thinking of. Anyways, so yes. Peter Stater worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger in Raw Deal. There, I've corrected that. I feel better. My soul has been cleansed. Moving on to Peter Stater's other movies he was in. Disorderlies with the Fat Boys. He was in Chud 2. Bud the Chud. Absolute Power and The Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Andrew Hubitsek. This guy, this is a fucking shame. Because this guy is fucking amazing. And he's only been in three fucking movies. That's it. And this is one of them. This is a crying fucking shame. Andrew Hubitsek as Zelda Goldman. I'll rant, I'll rant and rave about Zelda later. He was in this movie. He was in uh, Catherine Bigelow's Blue Steel. Catherine Bigelow, known for doing movies like Near Dark and Point Break. And Blue Steel also starred Jamie Lee Curtis. And Clancy Brown was in that one. And Andrew Hubitsek was a janitor in the movie Human Resources. That's it. This, is, this fucking burns me because this guy is so fucking good. And those are the only three movies he's ever been in. Blaze Berdahl and Bo Berdahl as Ellie Creed. They were twins. Uh, Blaze did most of the acting, but back then, especially back then, a lot of times you had, when there was child actors, it was usually twins that played the roles. Um, but Blaze Berdahl and Bo Berdahl play Ellie Creed. Now Blaze, Blaze done a lot of work since. Um, She's done voice work in movies like We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. Uh, She did voice work in the video game for Are You Afraid of the Dark? She was the Spice Girls in Celebrity Deathmatch, and she was Cheetah in the series DC Super Friends from 2015. So, and and she did other stuff. Those were the key ones that I I noticed, and I was like, oh wow, I didn't realize like she was in properties that I was actually familiar with. So it's kind of cool. Finally, our final star of this movie, Miko Hughes. I know last week I said Mika. And I was like, no, it's Miko. Miko Hughes as Gage Creed. Yes, he's cute little Gage. It's not the only movie he was ever in, though. Um, he was also in Kindergarten Cop. I believe he's the kid who's like, my daddy's a gynecologist. I swear to God, that's th- who he was. I was like, that that's the role. Um, he also was in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. He was in twelve episodes of Full House back in nineteen ninety five. I didn't know that. I I know sacrilege. I don't like Full House. Okay, so whatever. I I might have watched some episodes back in the nineties because who didn't? You know, it was all the TGIF shit. And but I don't like the show. I'm sorry. It just doesn't appeal to me. Uh, Miko Hughes was also also uh, also in Apollo thirteen, and he was in the nineteen ninety seven movie Spawn. He was uh, Spawn. I'm not going to lie. I love that movie. Bad CGI effects today, but I love that movie. He was also in the movie Mercury Rising, and he was in three episodes of Roswell. Pet Cemetery was rated R. Back in the time when, you know what, you didn't have to announce that horror movies were rated R. I'm noticing that a lot now, because like, with so many PG-13 horror films, now it's like, oh, this movie has a hard R rating. Back in my day, back in the 80s and the 70s, and even before my time, you know, horror getting rated R movies was not uncommon. As a matter of fact, it was more common to see that than it was to see a PG movie. Or PG thirteen. Poltergeist was like that rare, rare one that stood out that was like, yeah, this is movie this movie's PG and it's gonna scare the fuck out of you. Uh, <laughs> Pet Cemetery's budget was eleven point five mil, and the gross for the film was almost fifty seven and a half million. That's fucking awesome. Way to go. Kick some fucking ass. And the runtime for this movie? One hour and forty-three minutes. And now it's time for synopsis before I give you my breakdown. Yeah, I've been enjoying doing the synopsises for this, or synopses. Is it synopses? I don't know. I'm actually really good with the English language, but there are certain things I just don't fucking know. Um, Whatever. It happens. Uh, But anyways, it's time for the synopsis, and then I will do my breakdown and my review and all that fun shit. So, on with our synopsis for... Pet Cemetery. For most families, moving is a new beginning. But for the creeds, it could be the beginning of the end. Because they've just moved in next door to a place that children built with broken dreams the Pet Cemetery. It's a tiny patch of land that hides a mysterious Indian burial ground with the powers of resurrection. Master of the macabre, Stephen King, will take you and the Creeds to hell and back. But the Creeds don't have return tickets. Your tour guide is kindly old Judd Cramble, the neighborhood nice guy who knows the secrets of life, but has seen enough to firmly believe that sometimes... Dead is better, not better, better. Alright, and now, it's time. It's time to do the notes from Beyond the Grave. I was going to call it Notes from the Beyond at first, but, nah. Because we're dealing with cemeteries, and we're dealing with resurrections and shit like that, I thought, eh, Notes from Beyond the Grave sounds a little bit more cooler and awesome. So, we're going with that. A little prefacing here, I will try my hardest not to compare this to the remake, but a few things do need to be noted between the two, so it's going to happen occasionally, uh, because how I'm going to start this off, uh, doing research and whatnot, I watched a lot of different videos, read a lot of different interv- interviews and reviews and whatnot, and anyways, one that's kind of stuck out was uh, a video on YouTube from Watch Mojo. And I don't know. watch Mojo and BuzzFeed and all that kind of shit really never impresses me. But this one kind of caught my attention because they claimed, watch Mojo claimed that the remake is better than the original. and they gave 10 reasons why. And after watching this video, it's a 10 minute video. It didn't take me long. I, I came to the, the conclusion that only one reason out of their 10 made any sense at all: the acting. Okay, so, with Pet Cemetery, how I did this, I did this for three actors. And it's only three because, well, when I get to it, you'll understand why. So, first off, we have Dale Midkiff in the 1989 version versus Jason Clark in the 2019 version. If I was to put the two against each other, Jason wins this. Jason easily wins this. Dale's acting is horrible. In the 1989 version, his horrible—it's—it's it, it, it's disgusting. It's maybe disgusting is a little too strong, but he's horrible at emoting. Uh, his emotional impact seems very—I don't know if he was either trying too hard or not hard enough, but it seems like it just—it doesn't feel right. And his line delivery is very wooden. Like he, he a lot of the times it seems like he's just he's just reading his lines and that's that. Uh, with maybe the odd smile thrown in there or a little bit of a sigh. But I never really believed his emotional impact. I mean, at times all he does is stare. It's like he's literally the deadest character in the movie. Or maybe that was the point. I don't know. Um because, and I mean, like, especially in the scene when Gage dies. When Gage gets hit by the the Orenco truck. By the way, spoilers, because 1989 fucking movie, screw off. Uh, but anyways, when Gage gets hit by the truck, and we, we, first off, we see, like, Lewis Creed, like, falls, but it looks like, like, it doesn't look like a fall. And why is he falling? Like, I don't understand, like, if if my son was in the road or in my case, a lot of times it'd be like my dog because I, I'm a pet owner and whatnot. But if, if I, if I had a child and my son is in the road, the last thing I'm going to do is fall. It'd be like, fuck no, I'll roll my way over there if I fucking have to, because I'm saving my kid. Like, and he, his fall looks very fake. Um, and then he does that scream that, no, and, I don't even know if that would be my first reaction to something like that. Like, I can't, I can't justify or or like I can't justify that reaction. Like, it just seemed like it was way out of place. It didn't seem like it fit at all. Where in in the remake, and I'm not like I said, I'm not going to talk too much about the remake. But Jason Clark comes off as a very believable Lewis Creed. He seems more like he was, he was fit into that role a lot better, where Dale Midkiff just, it's no, it does not work. Um, second actor, Denise Crosby versus Amy Simitz. I think I'm saying her last name right, Simitz. Um Again, Amy would win this. Amy would, in, in the 2019 version, Amy would win this. Denise is not the worst thing about the 1989 version, don't get me wrong, but especially there's that one scene where she's talking about the story about Zelda's death. And it just sounds like she's trying to hit an emotional level she has no clue how to purvey on the screen. I I, I just it, it it seems again, acting too hard. And what the fuck is Shilly Shally? I I don't know. I'm sure it was something that was probably in the script. I'm hoping that wasn't an ad-lib, because if it was, someone should have stopped filming and said, don't do that again. (laughs) But, I mean, like I said, Denise Denise Crosby is not the worst thing in this movie, but her acting, again, if if you put her up against this remake, no, the the actors in the remake, just a little bit better. Uh, Again, now, Blaze Birdall... Uh, as Ellie Creed versus Jeet G- Lawrence or Jate Lawrence I I again I'm trying here hands down though no, miss Lawrence wins this the the remake gets Ellie Creed so much better than the original first uh like I, I mean she yes yeah, she's a thousand times better in the remake I am aware there is drastic changes to the character of Ellie creed I'm not an idiot I obviously I get that and we know in 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 the 2019 remake Spoilers: Ellie is the one that gets killed, not Gage. So yes, when when she comes back from the dead, she's going to be creepier. She's going to be more. Uh, the difference between living Ellie and dead Ellie is just like fucking amazing. But at the same time, the Ellie Creed in in the original, she's whiny, she's annoying, and the 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 one scene right after Gage has has died and she goes running off into the other room and she's crying and it's it's like your cry acting or you're like your acting cry is a bloody abomination it's horrible like and I get it like she's a kid actor whatever I understand but there are kid actors that can cry on cue like that so much better and. No, it just it it doesn't work. Now, however, my next my next point that I'm going to make is that when it comes to the 2019 remake, that's where it all stops. Everything else in the original is better, is better, dead is better, but no, the OG wins this motherfucker hands down. I don't. I guess it's because I grew up with the original, maybe, but there's just things that happen in this fucking original movie that are so much better, so much well done than the remake. The remake was unnecessary, I've been saying this for a while now, The, uh, the remake was unnecessary, I'm not saying I hate the remake, it's just it was unnecessary, we didn't need it. This movie is about grief, and it's about death. And it approaches the topic from many different angles, many different sides. You have death by accident, death by suicide, death by murder, um, death by a broken heart. And the death by a broken heart is kind of... I guess the way I see it is Lewis Creed's death, the, the, the final death of the movie and whatnot. I get this feeling like he... I, yes, I know he he's he's walking to the to the burial ground and Pascal's saying, "Don't do this again." Fuck! How many more times do you need this to fall apart in your face? And he says, "Well, with Rachel, I, I'm not waiting as long. I'll make this work and this and that." But I almost get this feeling as if it's almost like this is his last ditch effort. And if this doesn't work and she kills me, then I die. Like I, I basically inside, I'm already dead as it is. Um I kind of look at it as like a a poetic kind of thing. So that's why I say like death by a broken heart. The death by accident obviously is Gage. Death by suicide is Missy Dandridge. Death by murder is everyone that Gage goes after. Um, But the death of a broken heart, I kind of look at Lewis Creed's death as like being like, he's dead inside already. He knows this. And it's like, this is my last ditch effort. Either I'm going to bring my wife back and she's going to bring me back from the dead, or she's going to kill me, and that's where I deserve to be anyways. Um, the acting by everyone else in this film, aside from the three that I, I focused on, everyone else in this film is amazing, is really good, is solid. Uh, Fred Gwynn, and I don't even know if it's the right word, but I wrote he's adorable. Uh, <laughs> at least in the beginning of the film that the whole nice guy persona and like like when he saves gage who's almost about to walk in the road he goes oh no, you're not going that road there son and like he's just kind of got like this like adorable thing about him um and his character actually in its own perverse kind of way he does care about the creeds like especially in the beginning of the film you can tell he just wants to be friends he wants he wants to be the good neighbor um I mean, eventually, yes, he sends them down the road to destruction. You no, know, don't go down that road. But I mean, did he do it intentionally? I don't. I don't think so because, as much as not really highlighted in the film, we kind of get the idea, but they don't focus on it as much in the film as they do in the book. But you know, it's almost like that burial ground is the one dictating everything. It's the it's the thing pushing everybody to do what they do in this film and i i almost get the feeling like like it's tainted judd's character like judd crandall it's tainted his character now again i, I don't want to focus too much on the remake but i will say this judd, Li, uh, judd john lithgow as judd crandall there we go i got it um john lithgow was amazing The problem I always had with the 2919 remake, and I said this before, was that he was underused. If you used him a lot more and and better, oh my fucking god, like he would have been fucking amazing. Like and, and again, okay, here's something else where the 1989 film does this better is the use of Victor Pascal. He's great in this film. Uh Greenquist did like a really good job playing the role, but it's the idea of like how Pascal is kind of like the guardian angel and everything like that. I know they did that in the 2019 remake, but... Brad Greenquist does a better job and the makeup and the special effects, especially that wound in the head. And like when he's laying in the bed, like at first when he's first brought into the hospital and, you know, Lewis, you know, thinks he's lost him and whatnot. And you see like the head, like, and, and, and the brain is like still like almost pulsating and stuff. That's fucking great. Awesome. Like shit. Um, and it's creepy. And that's the thing. Like this movie does creepy so much better than the remake. Admittedly, this is uh, it's, it's kind of one of the things that's annoyed me about the remake. Um, and again, I know I said I wasn't going to focus so much on the remake, but you kind of have to talk about it, especially in these key points. Because reading reviews, and, and this isn't just like uh, like like reviews from critics; it was fan reviews too. So many people said that the remake the remake did a better job with pacing. Because it took out the stories of Missy Dandridge and Timmy Baderman. okay, I don't agree with this. and my whole thing is is that when it comes to the nineteen eighty nine version, without those points, without Missy Dandridge, you know uh, Missy Dandridge led into first of all, we you are faced with the the visuals of a woman who is in serious pain. She thinks the only way out now is through death. She puts a noose around her neck and drops herself off a table. That's a pretty brutal visual to witness. Like, and and then it it, it helps to further the story with Ellie because now Ellie is asking about Missy Dandridge. She's asking, you know, about those questions that relate to that kind of death and what you know. Her her questions about God, like, says, this movie also, in its own way, as much as it's focused on death and grief, also focuses on religion and the whole idea of what can God do versus what can God not do, if you're a believer, that is. I mean, obviously, if you're atheist, you think, well, nothing, but to be a believer— what does God have the power to do and not do? And what will he do? And that, that question is brought up and it's a very it's a it's a nice strong point to have. And then the story of Timmy Baderman. You you needed that story so that Judd could explain to Lewis why he should not bury Gage in that burial ground. The 2019 version? Okay, so theatrically, they omitted the whole Timmy Baderman thing. Right out. There is actually a deleted scene that has shown up on the internet and I'm pretty sure on the Blu-ray as well. I just I don't have the Blu-ray yet. But where we see Judd is sitting on a tree, having a smoke, talking. Now who he's talking to, we have no fucking clue. They don't show anybody. In the deleted scene, though, Judd is talking and he tells about the Timmy Baderman story. We don't see anything. The only visual you see aside from Judd sitting there talking about it is Lewis walking with the shovel towards the burial grounds but that's it like the Timmy Baderman scene in the original seeing the visuals again of of, uh, of a crazy Timmy Timmy Baderman coming back and, and killing his family and whatnot it, it it's visually striking it, it it evokes emotions where in the remake, I mean, theatrically, they took the whole fucking thing right out of there. It's like, where where did Timmy Baderman go? Now, I know that they've talked about that they want to make sequels and prequels and whatnot. Don't. Stop. But probably that's why the Timmy Baderman story was omitted from the 2019 remake, is because we are going to get that prequel, and that's going to be the story. Hopefully not, but it could end up happening. But I mean the the original people will say that the pacing is off i don't find i don't see where there's a pacing issue like yes there's a downtime there's a downtime because we got to build up a bit more character so that we can have the climactic ending that we have like i don't know <laughs> although okay i i sit here and i put that 89 version up on a pedestal but one thing that i never fucking understood about this movie why do rachel's parents hate lewis I think it's actually hinted in 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 the book as to I, again I got to go back and read the book again. I think there is actually some form of description as to why that happens, but in this movie we don't get that at all. Unless his unless Dale Midkiff's acting was just so fucking horrible that even you know the the, the people playing Rachel's parents were like, "Fuck, I hate this guy. I just fucking hate him." But no. I I mean, I the thing is, is that I get why the scene is there. It's to show another side of what grieving can look like. It can show the emotional impact that grieving the loss of someone, what it can do. Like, it can cause us to be crazy, you know what I mean? And that's basically what happens is Erwin uh, Goldman, like, loses his fucking mind and, you know, punches out Lewis. Okay, I, I I get it, but I don't understand the whole bit about Rachel's parents hating Lewis, Lewis is a doctor. He makes good money. He just bought his family a house, which is kind of funny. He buys a house that his family didn't see. When you buy a house, wouldn't you like do it as a family? Why would you say, okay, go buy a house and we'll see what it looks like when when you've picked it out. Like that part, I don't know. I don't get that. But my thing is, is that Lewis Creed is not a bad guy. He's got a great job, a great paying job. He's got, two kids he loves very much, a pet cat, a a wife. Like, he gets them a nice house on the waterfront at that. I mean, I don't know. Like, I I don't understand why Rachel's parents hate this guy. And he's, especially when, like, the father's all like, oh, I knew this would happen one day. I knew you'd amount to nothing. Why? He's a fucking doctor. Like, God, like, it's not like he's, like, some, like, retail janitor or something. And even that, like, a retail janitor, I mean, you know, people are people are good, like, right, like, good working people, but I mean, it's not like you have something that's, like, embarrassing, like, he's, uh, he's a fucking doctor, and he just got promoted to being doctor on the school campus, like, I don't know, I don't get it, um, moving on to other notes, though, because I could really hammer that one down for a while, uh, when Steve, okay, so another thing, people, people bring up about the whole idea of Pet Cemetery being spelled wrong. And they always say, well, you know, in the movie it's explained that it's because kids spelled it wrong. Yeah, okay. But Stephen King, when he called the book Pet Cemetery, the the reason because of that is because in real life, in 1979, he had moved into a house that was near a road that was known for killing animals. It was a very busy road. And just, I believe, down the street from him, there was a neighbor who in their in their back lot or whatever there was a small pet cemetery and that's how the sign was spelt was s-e-m-a-t-a-r-y that's where he got the inspiration for the 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 bad spelling the misspelling of it but yes in in the book and in in the movies and whatnot they explained yes it's just spelt wrong but I've seen so many people, they're like, I wonder why Stephen King spelled it that way. Well, it was later on like revealed that that was inspired by an actual sign that was near his house at that time. So, whatever. But when it comes to the screenplay, when Stephen, when Stephen King wrote this screenplay, he knew what he was doing. He was hitting his marks. He was conveying a story about grief and death. And he approached it from all sides. That's what... When it comes to the pacing and whatnot, that, that's where my issue is, is that pay attention to what you're watching like it's not people people get so confused when or I shouldn't say people like just certain individuals seem like they get confused with the idea of well it's called pet cemetery yes but the pet's coming back from life is not really the scary aspect of this movie it's the whole idea of playing god and bringing someone back from the dead bringing a human back and what the the consequences to that will be but at the same time this movie is really about grieving and loss and death and how people react to it the atmosphere in this fucking movie the environment the 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 the, the shots <sighs> fuck is it beautiful but what goddamn fucking season is it <laughs> like we go from like thanksgiving to all of a sudden spring like we skip over christmas i guess um what's the time frame for this movie is it 2 years is it 3 years is it what's going on here like it seems like it, it it should be a halloween movie because it seems like it takes place primarily in the fall but how many falls does this happen in we have you know the the family goes away for thanksgiving and I don't know. When Gage dies, it's, it, it, it's in the spring. Like, like I said, we skip winter for whatever reason. I don't know. It, but the atmosphere, the shots, especially the shots at the end of the fucking movie when Lewis is going to confront Gage and he enters into Judd's house the walls how they're slimy and they're covered in moss which every time I watch that I always think wow the curse that that, that curse of Jordy Verrill there just following Mr. King everywhere am I right um like <laughs> but the shit looks awesome it's so creepy as fuck and that's that's what this movie does so well it it, it, it not that the not that the remake wasn't dark and creepy but this one does it so much better and the music the music that Elliot goldenthal brings to this is just is very haunting it's very childlike it's very creepy and fuck you the ramones that's all i have to say about that the fucking ramones you don't need to go further than that all you need to know is the ramones um don't ask me to oh by the way don't ask me to pick between churches uh it's not fucking happening man uh and you can take that any way you want. But in in, in relevance to this review, um, I love Church in both films. The cat in both of them. It's fucking awesome. So don't ask me to pick because that ain't fucking happening. But now, the one part that I am super happy to be talking about, I can finally do this. I can finally focus a little bit of my life and my heart on this. This fucking movie. Should be subtitled The Real Legend of Zelda. Because fuck you and your creepy fucking portrayal, Andrew Hubitzak. Fuck you. No, oh my god. Seriously. Zelda? Okay, you got I've said it before. I'm going to say it again for the purposes of this episode alone. There's not much in the horror genre that actually creeps me out. I love horror films. I wish I got scared more, to be honest. But I just love—I love what horror films do. I love the outside of the box thinking and the, and the gore and the creepy factors and whatnot. I love all that shit. But there's not actually a whole lot in these movies that actually creeps creeps me out or sticks with me or haunts me or has me like you know laying in bed at night going fuck I just can't get this thought out of my head. Fucking Zelda did it. The first time I ever saw this fucking movie, my god, I was fucking creeped. I remember going to bed that night. And it, it wasn't a matter of that I thought like, you know, Zelda was going to come like running at me or anything, but just the idea, like at, at the time when I saw this movie, I was we were living in a house, my bedroom was in the basement and I had basically the whole basement was all mine. It was like one big apartment. It was awesome. And it it was like a really big room and I just remember like laying in bed with one eye kind of open almost looking at the corner of my room. Now, realistically, I know no Zelda is going to come running at me, but fuck, I could not get that visual out of my head when 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 Zelda is like supposedly is like a haunted version of Gage or whatever, and Rachel Rachel sees Zelda and she comes running at her and whatnot, and it, it just the, the the creepy hunching over and stuff, and it, oh my god, the, he, such a beautiful portrayal. The, the remake has nothing on this. Like, I'm not even going to talk about the Zelda in the remake, and that's that's no offense to the people that, that tried with that, but fuck you, no. The original does Zelda so much better. Oh, my God. And in a world where, like, Stephen King films are not always the greatest, like, that scene alone makes this movie fucking Awesome. So fucking awesome. And on top of that, there are two other what-the-fuck scenes that actually, like, get a reaction out of me, even to this day. One is funny, one is not. The one that's funny is when Lewis wakes up, like, he's been, you know, Gage has come back, and Lewis is lying in bed, and he wakes up. And he rolls out of the bed and just, like, smacks his fucking head right off the side of the table. It's like, boom! And I'm like, for fuck's sakes, that's gotta fucking hurt. I believe I read somewhere or I heard somewhere that he actually did smack his head off that table and they kept that scene because of, like, the reaction. I guess he was, like, woozy, like, after it fucking happened. Seriously, that had to fucking hurt. And, I mean, it just, it's like, he rolls over and head, bang! It's like, oh, I have a headache just watching that. Um there's that scene and then the one that still gets me to this very fucking day. Oh my god, is when Gage cuts Judd's Achilles tendon. Holy fuck, I still squirm. And watching the movie for this re- like for this review, I I knew it was coming. I was still bracing myself, but when I see it I'm like, Fuck ah, oh, fuck you movie. Um I mean, there's so much, like... When it comes to some of the acting, yes, the execution is deadish; It's, like, just not good. But that... Oh, fuck. And, you know, I am going to say this, and I've said this about other actors and other films and whatnot, but I, I know, I, I pick on the acting a lot, specifically Dale Midkiff. Don't get me wrong, he was never destined for the Horror Hall of Fame. Um, we need to bring that back. But anyways... You can tell he tried, and that's the thing about acting, that's the thing about these actors, that's the thing about these movies that I love so much, is when you can see an actor is trying to passionately do something right. Maybe it don't work, but he tried. Like I said, the execution in this film for the acting, some of it is very (laughs) dead-ish, but his heart was in the right spot, Um, and I, I can't take that away from him. But I do have to ask. Here's the question I brought up at the very beginning of this episode. Why the fuck is Lewis giving a cat? Why is he giving Church a steak? What the fuck? Why not fish? Or tuna? Or catnip even? Like, something. You're trying to attract a cat to come to you and you drop a fucking piece of steak. And here's the funny thing. Church is fucking eating that shit. Now... I guess maybe maybe the logic of this film is that the cat came back from the dead. He he, he's basically an animated body without a soul, so the cat will eat anything as long as it's deadish or dead or whatever. I don't know. But I don't know how like why Lewis went straight to a, a piece of steak. Like seriously, like cat food even. Like wouldn't you open like a can of nine lives and say here, here kitty kitty kitty, like but a fucking steak? I don't know. But fuck you, because the Ramones. Like, seriously, the Ramones. And fucking Zelda. This is the legend of Zelda right here. Like, fuck this shit. (sighs) IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, has given this movie a 6.6 out of 10. For purposes, the remake stands at a 5.8 out of 10. Fuck you, remake. You were unnecessary. We didn't need you. Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at a 52% approval rating from 33 reviews, but that's critics, so suck me. 88% of Google users love this film. I know it says Google Google users like this film. They love this film. Fuck you. (laughs) Variety called this movie an undead schlock dulled by a slasher film mentality. What fucking movie were you watching? I don't understand undead schlock by a slasher film mentality I, I, I you were not watching the same movie i was and then just because just because i have to gene siskel of the chicago tribune you know my good friend siskel here who hates every fucking movie yeah he gave this one zero stars out of four called it sickening did you not get the fucking themes going on these are like paid critics they don't get the fucking themes. There's a theme here with this movie. It's not just like straight out, oh, well, a cat comes back to life and a person comes back to life. There's more to it than that. Like, And you guys are like, these critics are scholars. They went to school for this shit. You don't fucking get what's going on with this movie. Look a little deeper. Bloody Disgusting. There we go. And you guys on the Facebook page, know I love my Bloody Disgusting. They, a very decent website for horror. They rate the movie four point five out of five stars. And their quote that I grabbed was "The plot alone would make for a scary movie. But by injecting excellent atmosphere, capable acting, I differ with that. But anyways, and generally, nightmarish scenes, pet cemetery is a truly effective horror flick and well worth well worth the price of admission. Yes, aside from what they see in the acting, I mean, but then again, if you're ignoring the three that, like, if, if you ignore Lewis, Rachel, and Ellie, everyone else brings a decent A game to this, especially Judd and, and little Miko Hughes when he was gauge. He's cute. Like, he, he, when he dies, I feel something there, man. I'm like, fuck, they, why the cute kid? Podcast Zero Rating. What do I rate this film? Because I've been talking about this film for quite a bit now. I, I should have really prefaced this episode with the idea that it could possibly run past, like, its normal runtime of, like, an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. This may run a little bit longer. Uh, but the podcast zero rating, a masterpiece. That's I, I'm going to start off with that. It's a fucking masterpiece. Even despite the bad acting and some of the wonky flaws. Like I said, who gives a cat a steak? I, I don't understand. But... All that said, critically, critically, from a critical standpoint, and this is me being like, you know, okay, I'm going to I'm going to come down with the hammer of the law of films and say that this movie is still a nine out of fucking 10 for me. Yes, this movie is awesome. Like I said, remake, unnecessary, didn't need it. One of my faves. this is an absolute fave of my, I, I've watched this one so many times, and I will continue to do so. I have it on VHS, DVD, And Blu-ray for a fucking reason and I am proud of that and those are my those are three of my Stephen King trophies I have the book I have the soundtrack as well as a fan as a fan now not critically because critically I took a point off for some of the bad acting and the wonky flaws and whatnot but as a fan this movie's an 11 out of fucking 10 suck me this movie is fucking awesome I love this movie and, I, 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 again, I don't hate the remake. It's not it's not a bad movie. It's, there's genuinely some good shit in that remake. But it's not one I'm going to go back to often. I won't watch it as much as I watch this. I still, to this day, watch this. I had to watch this for reviewing for this podcast. And it wasn't a twisting of the arm. I probably would have watched this movie five times for this fucking review. Like, and... and like I said earlier, I-, I love Stephen King movies. I know some of them are bad. But you know what? There are classics. There's the Dead Zone. There's Firestarter. There's The Shining. There's the Dark Half. There- Cujo. I just got Cujo on VHS from my beautiful, loving sister. F- fuck, I I can watch these movies anytime. But Pet Cemetery ultimately is my favorite of the fucking Stephen King movies. And yes, I'm pu- I know. I'm putting that over Shawshank Redemption and A Green Mile. But... It's because of how... I feel good when I watch this movie. I enjoy what I see. I laugh at a lot of the stuff. I get emotionally attached to some of the stuff. And some of it I'm sitting there going... (laughs) Probably should have cut that. But that said, this movie is so fucking great. As a critical standpoint, it's a 9 out of 10. But as a fan, I call this an 11 out of 10. This is a, a movie that I'm very passionate about. If you couldn't tell by listening to this review. And on that note... Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, it's that, it's that time of the show where I just, you know... I just wind down now. Fuck. Man, I... I, I was happy to do this, and... I don't know, like, I, I wanted to wait long enough after the remake came out to do this one. I knew that because... Like I said, it's funny. I prefaced at the beginning. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to focus too much on the remake. I, in terms of what I meant by that, I guess, is that I wasn't going to highlight, you know, scenes from the the remake and whatnot. It's just more a, a general comparison. But, yeah, Pet Cemetery. this this film directed by Mary Lambert, screen, screenplay by Stephen King, and badly acted by Dale Midkiff. I don't care. I love this movie. It, it's, it's so great. And I mean, like, what's not to love about Fred Gwynn? Like, just such a, 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 like I said, he's an adorable man. I don't know, he's like something like six foot something and tower over me, but he's adorable. And I, I love him in this movie. And I, I'm just, I'm glad I finally did this episode. I, I hope that you all have enjoyed listening to it. I hope that, you know, maybe you agreed, maybe you disagreed. Feel free to always let me know. Um, where to find the show Let, let's just let's just do this because i got one last little great moment of this episode to throw at you obviously you guys figured this one out already it's the closing song um but where to find the show you can find it at apple podcasts on google on spotify or at the next level network the next level network.com is where you'll find all the great podcasts from this network this podcast included. Um, you can also find the podcast at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. You can email me at what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. On the social media, the social media, um, okay, so Facebook. Facebook seems to be the one that I, I, I focus on a lot. I'm, I guess, I don't know, it, in, in my opinion, it's my preferred platform. I'm not saying that the other two that I don't use them or whatnot, but I prefer Facebook the most, in my opinion. Uh, Facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. But on Instagram, uh what lurks behind podcast zero, pretty straightforward. You know how to find me. Uh, on Twitter, it's at WLBpodcast underscore zero. There is the Redbubble store at redbubble.com slash people slash podcast zero. That's that. The closing track, obviously, you know what it is. I'm not even going to fucking announce it if you... Seriously, when I did the 22... uh, Episode 22, when I did the five, you know, top Stephen King films that I loved and whatnot, I specifically held off on playing this song. I was going to, but I decided, nah, you know what? Save it for when I do the actual episode because I knew one day I was going to do this, so... You know what the closing track is. I'm not announcing it, but I will announce what our next episode will be. Episode 54 It's a listener request. Um, A a repeat listener, uh, Justin Voorhees on Instagram, has asked for this one, and I'm kind of looking forward to doing this next episode because I've only watched this movie once. And I will say that the first time I watched it, I wasn't very impressed with it. But then again, I didn't really know what I was going into. Now that I kind of know where, or like, what I'm going into, I, I'm looking forward to giving this movie a second chance and seeing how I perceive it this second time. So from 2007, the next episode will be Lake Mungo. Um, like I said, listener request from Justin Voorhees on Instagram. So with that said, it's time for me to shut up. I've talked a lot and... I'm so glad you all stuck with me through this because this, this was an episode I, I... Fuck, I'm so glad I did this one. So it's time to close it off, right? Ah, fuck it. I'm going to say it. The song that's closing this episode out because I just have to say it. It has to roll off my tongue. The song is called Pet Cemetery" by the fucking Ramones because there's no other way to end an episode about Pet Cemetery unless you do it this way. That's that. I'm done. Goodbye. See you next week.
0: Under the outbuildings with the steamboats, In cobwebs and wild wolves. Come at the ground, not making a sound. The smell of death is all around. And night, when the cold wind blows, no one cares. No. Nobody knows. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery, I don't want to live my life again, I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. to the sacred place this ain't a dream I can't escape more than some fangs but picking clicking the bones spirits mourning among the tombstones and at night when the moon is bright someone cries something in right I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery I don't To live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a bed cemetery. You. Victor is green and flesh is riding away Skeleton dance, I curse these days And then I one no wolves cry out. Listen close, then you can hear me shell I don't wanna be buried in a bed cemetery